Welcome to the My Modern Met Top Artist Podcast. I'm Jessica Stewart, an art historian and contributing writer to My Modern Met. And as we begin wrapping up season one of the podcast, I'm happy to bring you a chat with one of today's leading street artists. Alexander Farto, better known as Vils, is a visual artist born and raised in Lisbon, Portugal. From a young age, he began expressing his creativity in public space and has launched a successful career thanks to his highly innovative technique for creating portraits. One of our favorite artists at My Modern Met, we were excited to speak with him about how he has literally chiseled his way to the top. And when I say chisel, I really mean that. Bills' public artwork is created using jackhammers, drills, chisels, and even explosives to carve back the stucco and plaster on walls. What Bills leaves behind are evocative portraits that are literally revealed through the layers of the city. He first gained international attention when, at just 21 years old, he was included in Banksy's 2008 Cannes Festival in London. From there, his stars continue to rise, and he's been included in collaborations with U2 during their 2016 Films of Innocence, and as well as being named one of Forbes's 30 Under 30 in 2015. Bills' work extends well beyond the streets, however, and we'll talk about that in our chat. In between creating large-scale chiseled murals, he's also producing gallery exhibitions, directing theater productions, and directing a cultural platform that he founded in Lisbon. We'll talk with him about all of this, as well as what he thinks of street artists being pigeonholed, and the pros and cons of NFT art. Well, let's get to it and dive right in. We're here with Vils, Alexander Farto, and we're very excited to have you on the My Modern Met Top Artist podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Jessica. So you were born and raised in Lisbon. Tell us a little bit about the neighborhood where you grew up and sort of how your experience growing up influenced your work as an artist. I mean, I was uh, <clears throat> I was born in the south side of Lisbon, so it's mostly uh, it's a working class uh, neighborhoods and it's an area that has a long history of activism on the uh, left field of politics and I guess I was always exposed to a lot of visual stimulation in the public space meaning that since uh, of a young age I was used to see murals uh, all over uh, mostly political because we had the revolution in 74 and a lot of um, the activism was taken to the streets. So I remember to see those murals even at a very young age, even before graffiti, even before everything that came after. Then there's a lot of a big culture with tiles, with, with visual uh, elements in the public space. Um, and, you know, being born and raised <clears throat> in a context where visual uh, intervention is, is quite peculiar and, and, and frequent. Uh, in different places, uh, really, you know, raised my curiosity in a way. So, and then as Portugal got into the EU, uh, um, the impact on the public space was the big boom with advertising and suddenly old murals that had kind of an utopian dreams were taken by the advertising and the consumerist society that we are living in now today. And from that, Graffiti came about, uh, which was a way to for people to express themselves and to rebel against the whole situation. And then the council started to paint everything white. Then street art came about. So it's kind of the, the exterior of walls beyond being decaying, because Lisbon for a long time was kind of a forgotten city that was kind of crumbling down. 
so we always had these cracks and walls holes from uh, not being really taken care of to having all these layers uh, and then I, I was doing graffiti so I was one of these layers that was going on top of things and, and at one point in my career I started to I mean as a graffiti writer I was doing it a lot but I I came to an idea of why am I adding to all this discourse and why how can I take it further even uh, than to just be another layer on the history. So I just came about with the idea of basically go on a wall, paint it all white, and then carve and paint with the layers of history and carving through the layers. So I did that with billboards, with walls, um, with woods, wood, old woods. So, so I started this concept of kind of scratching the surface and painting with what was there uh, underneath the layers of, of, uh, of the space. Yeah, it's an extremely interesting technique, obviously very unique. We're working with chisels, drills, jackhammers to sort of scrape the plaster off buildings. It sort of reminds me of Michelangelo talking about his concepts of sculpture in terms of, yeah, a subtractive sort of quality rather than adding something on top of it. So take us a little bit through your creative process and how you worked out, you know, how you would do that. I mean, now you've been using this technique for about 15 years, so I'm sure it comes second nature, but it, it couldn't have been easy to start and, and create realistic portraits with that technique. Yeah, it was quite challenging at uh, first. Um, I was, I think the first time I did it, there was a graffiti jam, so a lot of uh, writers came about and it was kind of an exhibition where artists were doing walls and I arrived with the jackhammer really cheap one <laughs> uh, and everyone was like what are you doing and, <laughs> uh, and then i just pushed on it um, it kind of went from a lot of exploration and learning by myself so very diy the whole process uh, and then i started to get the shapes and i started to control the hammer and and i was not just using the the, the jackhammer i was using chisel and in the end i you know at the same time that I was doing this process, I was thinking a lot about, you know, what's the, um, you know, the, 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 the original idea graffiti, it's graffiti, which is, comes from scratching. There was no cans back in the days. So in a way I was right. actually doing something that was really at the raw idea of what graffiti was. And that came from even Michelangelo, which did some graffiti back in the days with, with love, uh, so uh, but this is, was something that I discovered after the the thought to arrive there was mainly graffiti and painting on a public space. Then I started to investigate, and I really like it. Really makes sense. Um, and then at the same time, I understood the powerfulness of it, of how um, you can, you know, paint a portrait of someone that lives in that same city. With the, layer, with the layers of, of history that compose that city, but also composes the people. So in a way you're kind of uh, revealing the link between people and a place and how a place mm -hmm. makes you what you are. Uh, uh, that's how I started to really look into portraiture and, 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 and then understanding the powerfulness of an image of a, of a project that I was doing. Um, when I was doing it with certain communities that were going through some struggles, that that could bring attention to the subject. And then I'll, that's how mm. the work kind of went. And then it went to other completely different places to using explosives, right. to using a lot of other techniques. 
I do want to talk a little bit about the explosives because I have to say, I actually do remember when I saw the video you did for uh, Orelha Negra and it was mind blowing. It was like, oh my gosh, I've never seen anything like this before when the explosives go and all of a sudden there's this clean image on the wall. So, you know, the process has really evolved. How did you make the leap to okay, I'm going to use a chisel and a jackhammer to, oh, let's ramp it up and now let's use explosives. I mean, there, it was kind of on the way uh, of the process because some areas are really hard to break first, but then also uh, that, that idea came about in the crisis of 2008. And it was really a concept that I was working on, this concept of how the history of a place uh, and all, the layers of the wall are there for ages. So if you scratch the wall, you can reach a layer of the 70s or the 60s or the 50s, where a lot of the discourse, politically speaking and socially speaking, was quite polarized and extreme. And when you get a crisis, it's quite, it was kind of a metaphor that I wanted to create, which when you have a spark or a crisis, suddenly all those layers that seem so far away, so distant, like, you know, xenophobia, like all, all, all the all the protectionism that countries started to talk about since that uh, period, all the kind of this breaking apart of the social fabric through the the tensions of a crisis. Suddenly, all those layers that are 20, 30 years ago, they come back, you know? So it's kind of this cycle mm -hmm. of history that repeats itself. And if you go to a wall, you can really make a bridge between time and you know and mm. and by doing that <clears throat> with explosives which is kind of a metaphor of a crisis because it's a spark that then everything changes right uh i i i really find it as the medium that was kind of the ideal to you know pass this message and this concept mm. uh and, and 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 talk about how you know easy is for us to do the same mistakes if we don't remember them yeah i mean you you bring up another good point that i think is so is part of what makes public art particularly so powerful is the impact it really can have on place in communities on spotlighting different subjects if of course that's what an artist chooses to to work within and i know that's something that you're very attentive of so i'm curious what is your approach when you for instance go into a new city or a new neighborhood that you don't know that's not necessarily yours to sort of you know, how important is it to you to make that connection with the community and leave something behind that sort of speaks to that community long after you're gone? Uh, we, we are all a mix of belonging to a place, being ourselves, but also a, a mix of, of how we perceive a space. So Lisbon went through a huge process of gentrification. A lot of places have been an art whether we like it or not, sometimes has negative impacts as well, but positive as well. But I think it's always the perception of a place and it's always a view of someone that is local to that place that has a, a, a life, a, a story, a, a struggle sometimes, and it's related to that place. But we always, but it always intervenes with people that come from outside that have a different vision about that same place. And it's, it's mm -hmm. where those, that collision of different thoughts about a place that makes a place in the end, in the end because it's, yeah. <laughs> it, it's the sum up between the impression that you have of that place and the person that lives there that is, and, and when they combine and talk through it, 
that you create uh, something very interesting. So each time I do a project, I always try to understand the history of the place. I try to get involved with associations or, 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 or understanding the struggles that people are going through. And then I try to become a weapon in a way for people to, to convey their message. That's how I feel that I can make a difference as well. And how my work mm. makes sense uh, to you know, bring attention to a, a subject or attention or a conflict. Um, so, so in a way, it's 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 how I perceive it. Then it's a lot about each wall, each city, each place has their own history. And you can, you know, a recent city, uh, you can carve on a wall, and you see that the materials are very different than from a city that has sure. a thousand years of history. And I think that's that's what the work you know can reveal. It's uh, it's all those layers and. Uh, what is older doesn't mean to be more important than the the the, the newer. It's it's just revealing what it is, and that's what I try to do with my work. It's really try to bring the rawness of of, of the place and and what symbolizes the place, but also the the rawness of the of the people that are represented in a way. So it's it's a mix. <laughs> So I want to talk a little bit about the start of your career. I mean, you started doing street art at a time when people didn't really think of it as, oh, I'm going to make a living at doing this. You know, this is, mm. this is going to be a lucrative career for me. What did you feel like was your breakthrough moment when you thought, okay, this could actually be something that could be, you know, my job? Was it was it after the Cannes Festival in London, which Banksy organized in, in 2008? I know that really brought a lot of attention. Or what, what was that moment that made you think, this is what I'm going to do full time? I always had a passion for it. <laughs> I was not very good at uh, even painting and drawing, but I was even worse at everything else. <laughs> so I could not see something else that, that I could be. Uh, and I started as a graffiti writer, more like, you know, uh, as a young kid doing my own thing and trying to be independent and, you know, claim a bit of space for myself in the early 2000s, late 90s. Uh, and it was pure graffiti and I did that for like 10 years, uh, occasionally still do it, but but that was kind of the the, the, the raw feeling to, to do. And then suddenly uh, I started, I uh, organized with some graffiti writers, some exhibitions indoors and a gallery in Portugal called Vera Cortes. Uh, which I just did the show with her. She really saw the work when I was 16, 17, and she asked me to do an exhibition on her gallery, which was a more contemporary art gallery. And that really opened my mind to, you know, okay, I can I can do something on the street that I would have to do it fast. Uh, my message will probably not com be conveyed in a very uh, efficient way because I don't have a lot of time to work on it. But I could also bring that thoughts and the concepts of working on a, on a public space to an indoor space where people can really dive in into the concepts and the works. Mm. So I think that was a pivotal moment, but I, th I guess the next one was when I did the show with Banksy at Cairns, which got a lot of attention internationally. And that's when I started to get invitations for festivals, for projects, and then eventually to set up a studio in London and then moving the, the studio to, to, to Lisbon. Um, and, and yeah, but uh, it was not really planned. I just tried to do my best mm -hmm. with each, with what I had at yeah. the time. So, yeah. One through thread with your work is that it seems like you've really taken advantage of so many different opportunities. We'll talk about those some, some of those coming up. What's interesting is that 
you work in so many different types of mediums. And I feel that people that perhaps aren't familiar with the street art world tend to undersell artists in that world or think that, oh, they just do stuff on the street. What, what, else, what do you mean you're having a show? What is that going to be? You know, and as you just said, very easily, yeah. you, you talked about, about the difference between what you do in the street and what you do in the gallery. And you do work in a lot of different mediums, video installations, you've directed a stage production. You know, people tend to box street art into a very narrow category. And does this bother you at all? Or do you sort of like surprising people with everything you do? And I guess it's a mix. I mean, I'm of, always was very curious. And I really like, I mean, we don't call an artist that does gallery shows uh, a gallery artist. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, we call him an artist. And that artist can do public sculptures. He can do videos. He can be, you know, so... And yeah, the tag name with the street artist, it's in my view, I think it's, it's, it's really puts artists in a box. I was always really open to do different medias. A lot of artists that come from this background of working in urban environments do a lot of other mediums. Mm -hmm. uh, JR works with a lot of mediums, as you know, Shepard as well, Banksy as well. I, I mean, there's a ton, like tons of artists that work with different mediums and I think what defines you is what you want to do and what you create. It's not what people call you. And and that's uh, in the art world is something hard to say, but it's 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 sometimes a bit conservative. You know, even for the yeah. contemporary art world, when you, they look at an artist and they put you in a box, it doesn't sound right. Uh, it should be actually the reverse of that. So so yeah, I live with that stigma, but I don't care. I do my things, and I really like to. I really like to 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 explore and and not be limited by a medium. What is really matters to me and what makes me happy is to pass the message with the, with the right way and medium to that I can know or manage. You know. Yeah, I want to switch gears and speak a little bit about an aspect of your work that's really always interested to me, and that's your work with Underdogs, which is a cultural platform in Lisbon that's been around since 2010. Uh, Underdogs hosts exhibitions, it has a public art program, releases limited editions. Can you talk about your role with Underdogs and how that idea came about? So what I tried to do at the beginning was really to create a platform that really respected this new wave of artists that were not having a space. So a lot of the galleries, this was post the crisis that I told you about, the 2008 crisis, and a lot of the contemporary art galleries were not taking risks in taking young artists. And beyond that, they could not understand this new type of artists that were kind of uh, coming of, of age to an area, an era that we were exposed to internets, to blogs, to uh, ways of doing things uh, that was completely different from artists from before. And the fact that uh, uh, galleries could not understand, I wanted to create a project that could be a platform that respected really artists that first work on a public space then they do gallery work, and then they also do editions. Uh, so it's kind of these three pillars uh, that we kind of try to shape a project that could be sustainable first, and it could bring as well attention to the artist's work, and in the end as well revenue for the artist to be um, sustainable, you know, because a lot of these artists were struggling uh, a lot. I guess we work with more than 200 artists since the beginning of the project, so it's been a long-term long project. Um, I do a team as well with Pauline Fussell, that's it's someone that got into 2013 
and she really helped me to shape how, how, how the structure could be. Uh, and we've been evolving since then. So it's a long time work, but it's mainly a platform to, to bring space to, to artists and to make this new wave of artists, you know, visible. Um, but at the same time, trying to respect their practice because uh, these specific artists uh, and they are not just street artists, they go from, you know, uh, um, contemporary artists that work with big institutions, but they have a link always with working on a public space illegally. Mm. Uh, and, and that's basically the link between all the artists. Well, congratulations, because 10 years is a long time, I suppose almost 11 now, is yes. a long time to be around. I mean, it's not easy to run a gallery and do things. And of course, you you have other people, as you mentioned, Pauline, your collaborator, help and, and work together. But to do that and to have your own art practice is not an easy an easy thing at all. Yeah, uh, I mean, I try to be as, I don't like to, to be too close to, the, to, to, to make it independent as well, the platform, but... It's uh, it's a project on itself that works by itself, and I try to to be focused on my career. Of course, I always have, you know, I really want to to make it work. Uh, so when I'm needed, I'm needed. When I'm not, the team I have a great team that works uh, and makes the projects. Yeah, and your projects are always evolving. You and Underdogs recently curated an NFT auction. Crypto art is a huge topic right now. I'm curious, how did you first discover NFT art and what interested in you in it? I'm assuming as someone who specializes in ephemeral art, NFTs would excite you. It's such a new thing, uh, uh, but I think it can be with a lot of drawbacks as well. And those things we can talk about it as well. But, but in a sense, the concept and the, the idea of you being able to have a digital certificate, which is something that you do uh, already in my studio and also at the gallery, but having a digital certificate to an artwork that at this show was done digitally, so the artworks were digital, but even for the future in terms of how the works of artists can be associated with a certificate, a digital certificate that can be really empowering for an artist. Because for music, uh, the royalties, for brands, the patents, all of these fields uh, of creation and innovation got a, a way to, to finance uh, musicians or uh, inventors throughout their lives. But and visual artists, we, this was never solved, this problem, the royalty problem. And one of the advantages of the technology is that it allows you to get 10% for the rest of your life for work that you sell today. And this, for me, I think it can be very empowering for an artist and it can also release the artist of the trap of creating such a, uh, an amazing body of work and having a peak in his career, but then he wants to change his work and talk about something else, and then the work doesn't work commercially so well, but he can still live from that moment where he had that work that worked. And this can be liberating in a sense that artists can create uh, whatever they choose without the pressure of the market so much. On the other hand, it also uh, brings a bit more control to, to, to how you sell it and the conditions you establish at the beginning. Uh, and that can also give an artist a bit more transparency uh, to how his work is handled after he sells it. So in a way, I understood the powerfulness of the tool. Um, I heard about NFTs at the beginning of the year, I guess January, February, and I started to read a lot about it. And then I got involved with some artists that started to ex experiment some stuff. And then we came about with this idea of creating a better test of a fully digital show with artists that come from this background, but also digital arts 
artists by by themselves. So so we came about this project more to experiment and to put more artists involved in it to for them to understand the potential of it as well, but also for us to understand how how we can um, be a tool that is meaningful to the artists. Then for the whole technology, there is a long way to go. Of course, this is all very uh, ethereal, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in terms of implementation, and there is also a, a, a problem that needs to be solved, which is uh, the the carbon emissions that it implies the whole process. Right. So the NFT process of actually creating it is a huge carbon sinkhole basically mm-hmm. uh and that's done purposely and so obviously there is a big controversy around environmental ethics around nft art and um, it's interesting you bring that up i know some artists have talked about doing carbon offsetting or something like that to try and balance it is is that clearly something you've thought about or at least been in your in your head in terms of the environmental impact we we did and we we we're gonna donate five percent of the whole, which, which was the calculation we did for the emissions because we are not selling editions, we are selling unique pieces basically. So it's one NFT, it's not two thousand. Uh, and and we what we calculated was the emission, and we're gonna donate five percent to WWF to to trying to offset that. But um, I think we're gonna be to pause until the technology gets better. I know that there is several projects that are environmentally friendly uh, and, and and that are already offsetting the emissions by mm. when they're executing. So I'm just yeah. seeing how things are moving to really understand uh, how, how we can be meaningful without our team, the whole right. earth, you know. Yeah, and hopefully because this is something that's been, that attention has been called to quite early and when crypto art is gone, more widespread, it seems like hopefully there are organizations that will be working to tackle the the issue i'm interested for you how is creating an an nft piece different than what you'd normally work on for a collector or or is it is it exactly the same do you approach it differently or an nft for me is always a certificate but i i myself and all the other artists that we worked with which were 51 artists we we basically um what we try to do i mean it's it's a medium what I see is a medium, it's a digital medium. I, for a long time, the explosion videos, for example, I was selling them in galleries, I sold a few, uh, and I was doing a, a, a paper certificate to sell the video. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the video could have been sold digitally with the certificate that was digital. It's exactly the same thing. Bill Viola, when he sells his videos, is selling digital piece in the end, you know? So, and then with the certification, but, but, but it's that distance, uh, for me, I see it as a digital, as a medium to communicate, and it's the same uh, energy that I put on a piece when I do it. On the other hand, as well, the idea of doing a wall on a public space that was demolished and destroyed, and the only thing that this survives through is through a digital format, then NFTs make sense in a way of to certificate that work on itself because it makes it eternal, you know. So that's why we end up with this idea of ephemeral eternal idea of of how this can be uh, relevant. Right. And I want to talk a little bit about the piece you created for the auction. In it, we see sort mm-hmm. of a crane jackhammering into the wall, almost taking the place of what a human or you would be doing um, and to spell out the word minted. And on Instagram, I'm going to read what you part of what you wrote. This piece does not contain a human being. Instead, it confronts us with a machine that creates with our future. 
to me, this is a powerful concept. You know, we're in a time when there's a lot of excitement, but also fear about technology and what it can bring. What's your perspective on this in terms of the power of technology and how it sort of balances in the human age that we're living in? I, th I think, we, I mean, since the several parts in history, uh, from the Industrial Revolution to today, you know, uh, humanity always had this confrontation dreams. You know, will what we create to help us overtake us? <laughs> I think that's a big challenge that even an artist, a creative, which everyone says is very difficult with artificial intelligence to be, to be, to be changed. But at one point, things can arrive to a point that, yeah, we may be <laughs> irrelevant. And I think that's the, you know, the big questions is that has been discussed and how labor, how our daily lives have been affected throughout technology, that technology has been a tool for us. Uh, my question is at one point, uh, and technology was always pushed through society to evolve and to be better, uh, and it, it never goes back. It's like the wind; it goes, it goes forward, and we cannot stop it. But the big discussions, I think, will be how this at one point needs to be regulated or not, because it's really going to touch on parts of society that we we are mortal and the technology is not of course there is always a taken a give and go with technology uh, and especially working with machines that makes us achieve things that are better but but we always have the challenge that this can be overtaken i think it's i don't have an answer <laughs> i just wanted to expose that no i mean i don't think there is an answer but i think it's interesting to to think about you know yeah. instead of just going blindly with it and not giving it any thought for sure yeah. um before we go i just want to talk about any new projects i know you have a show opening in bologna italy that will have actually just opened by the time this episode airs it's taking place in in a, in a church actually can you tell us a little bit about it yeah i mean the the project is i mean uh the show will be open now, but but uh, I'm still working on it. Uh, but it was doing <laughs> it was done through 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 confinement, um, and we could not move and we could not go to Bologna and, and meet the people that I wanted to photograph and work on. So we found a way. Uh, the name of the show is Portal, and and it was kind of exploring this idea of how to do a community project, but that you cannot. You are a prisoner of your own place, uh, and this and this link between two places and creating something that I could not move or to go and see, and knowing that people were going through a struggle there, me as well here. So it's kind of this is this show that works on doors, which are portals, but that makes us prisoners of a globalized world that I could not move. They could not move, but we were doing a show in another country inspired on other things. So so I, I, instead of hiding that, I wanted to explore that idea mm. of how, uh, how the world allows us to do this, but at the same time, it's kind of a counter, counter sense. But, but it's a show about uh, people of Bologna that's, that's, uh, and of, of place that's amazing, incredible. But it was done in, uh, in conditions that there were. And in a way, art was kind of the portal between me and that community and people and gallery and 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 the, me and my team were working on pieces here so it's kind of this this uh, uh, you know portal that allows us to create something but at the same time we could not see each other physically mm. which is kind of weird yeah well i mean i think that sums up pretty much this entire you know past year more or less for the whole world <laughs> and interestingly yeah. it is interesting how the technology you know it, it as you said allowed you guys to be together but it is 
it does make you realize, I think this past year, the the humanity piece and how important that is. Cause I think we all have obviously yeah. missed, missed that. So yeah. beautiful. Well, thank you so much for taking time to sit and chat with us. It was really interesting to get your perspective. Um, people can find your work online at uh, vils.com, which is V H I L S and vils on Instagram and, and everything like that. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Well, that's it for today's Top Artist Podcast. Thank you for joining us and a special thanks to Alex, also known as Bills, for taking the time to speak with us. If you're curious about his art, please check the links in the show notes and pop over to the Top Artist Podcast Instagram. We're beginning to wind down season one of the show and we're already cooking up some great things for season two. A special thanks to all of our listeners who filled out our survey to tell us what you'd like to hear more of. We're going to take that feedback to help make the show better. If you still haven't taken the survey, check the link in the show notes and share your thoughts with us. Sarah Barnes will be with you next time to cap off season one. She'll be chatting with illustrator Elise Dodge about her colorful geometric artwork. We'll then be taking a little time off, but have some special things coming up until we're back with a new set of interviews with today's top creatives. All that being said, don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss a thing. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. See you next time. And don't forget to check out My Modern Met for your daily dose of art and culture. <laughs>